millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction, the podcast about clothes, but so many other things too. This is episode 50. We are thrilled to have reached our half century and hope you've enjoyed the ride so far. If this is your first ever episode, please check out the others where you'll hear Joe Sugg on armpit hair, hmm? Georgia Toffolo on doggy DNA and James McVeigh on sleeveless jackets. But on to today's guest, who is a doctor a former Love Islander, and now the government's youth mental health ambassador. He is also the author of a very timely new book, Live Well Every Day. It's Dr. Alex George. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Today I am with, very excitedly, doctor, former Love Islander, government's youth mental health ambassador, podcaster, author and ultimate bath bomber, Dr. Alex George. And I just have to say, Alex, you are so handsome. Like, I wish I'd washed my hair. You've been very, you've been, I think you've been very kind. I think it's a tired face after last year. Now I've got all sorts of wrinkles. I've turned thirty, you know, and uh, I think the the wrinkles are going to to roll on. But no, thanks. A very kind introduction. I I like the bath bomber. I like that one. I love that idea because you've set up a business, haven't you? Yeah, the yeah. Bath, bath bomb prescribed. Yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. It's a it's a passion business, I think. Okay, why is it a passion business? Well, I mean, the whole idea of the business came from um, me sitting in a bath, enjoying a bath bomb and thinking, this is great. I, I, I love it. And it's my way to de-stress. I think throughout the pandemic, I don't know what I've done if I, without having my bath bombs, you know, coming home from work at late at night sometimes and just wanting to unwind and going, this is heaven. Uh, and so yeah. I thought, well, it'd be nice to do something that is outside of the space that I'm in because it's quite serious a lot of the other work I do the campaigning and the mental health work it, it can be quite it can take its toll uh whereas mm-hmm. this is you know it, it's a much a more light-hearted business about self-care and looking after yourself but it's fun it's exciting and uh, it's a new venture so yeah, I'm enjoying it and much needed in by all you amazing staff in the NHS I mean my god what a year you've had how have, how have you how have you personally coped with that apart from sliding into a bath bomb <laughs> bath? I mean, who looks after you? You're looking after so many people. Who looks after you? Well, funny enough, I think we look after each other and, you know, even stepping a bit further back about why I like bath bombs, you know, one of the nurses, actually one of my good friends, uh, one of the senior nurses, Amanda at Lewisham, she, she said to me one day at work, you know, at the height of the first round of the pandemic, you know, you're doing silly hours, you know, you're working, you know, in here, but you're also doing all your media stuff and, they're kind of informing the public and stuff like that and the videos you know you need to look after yourself and um she brought a bath bomb in one day and it's like you have to go home and use this tonight and chill out and 
unwind a little bit and um that that's where it all started but i think we've we've really pulled together i think that's been a huge part in general um but you have we've had to also i think um look after ourselves at home uh when we're out out of a and e and i think that's probably for everyone really uh, particular doctors and i think nurses are sometimes we're very good at you know looking what hopefully we're very good at looking after our patients but we're not always the best at looking after ourselves um and you kind of classically hear that i think about doctors mm. um but i think we have really had to think about you know self-care um and i've definitely spent a lot of time in nature outside walking um you know unwinding a little bit exercising regularly and stuff all that kind of all the basics really that that's actually mm. what makes a difference is the basics but me, it's, anyway. in- it's interesting isn't it it's like we kind of know the solution or at least something that's going to act as a panacea, which is walking at nature. It is exercising. It is, you know, having a bath, a prescribed bath bomb bath. But we just don't do it some, somehow. It's it's kind of getting the, the will to do it. It's, you know, I'm always saying, please, someone out there, just give me the will to get my trainers on. I think modern life just pulls us away from self-care all the time you know like the first thing people do and i've been as guilty as anyone else for this but the first thing you do when you have a moment is to pick up your phone you know or you've got a moment's peace and you pick up your phone and start scrolling and that isn't self-care whereas before we might have picked up a book or we might have put on some music or we might have gone you know for a walk like everything is fighting for our attention all of the time uh, and a lot of that is works against us rather than with us you know again phones you know before bed you know we should be unwinding low lights quiet music not stimulating our brains and yet we can sit there and i know i've done it before scrolling on tiktok watching videos that are literally firing up the dopamine hits in our brain and stopping us from sleeping um so it's we're kind of battling against modern life in some ways and i think we a lot of those basic things we talk about really it's about the fundamentals of what we're designed to be doing in nature i think Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's it's funny. I interviewed um, Dr. Range as well. So you're the second doctor that I've had on my wardrobe malfunction. Because um, <laughs> you, do you know him? Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I've I've spent I'm spent a huge amount of time with him. He works in a different hospital, but yeah, we've you know had media medic meetings and been a lot of the calls together and stuff. He works on this morning. I'm on a Lorraine show, but um, yeah, I've seen a lot of the work he's done. He's done very well. Yeah, no, he's he's a really really lovely guy, and but is there kind of any friendly rivalry between you guys on the TV? But I imagine not, as you're on different programs. I don't know really. I I think that you know medics are competitive anyway, but um I wouldn't say so. I don't see it that way. Like I I think I'm in a very different lane to what other people are doing. That we all kind of do different things and. Um, I think we all bring different aspects to the table, you know, like just because you're a doctor doesn't mean that you're not kind of different, coming from different angles. That makes sense. And yeah. um, no, I think it's great. I think throughout the pandemic, I think a lot of us media medics have kind of really pulled together because it's, there's been a lot of pressure on us, really. And it's been quite stressful because a lot of people uh, have turned to us for answers. And a lot of the time we're learning things as, or trying to keep up to date things the same as everyone else is. And you're trying to kind of explain what's going on and kind of unpick some of the myths or facts or figures and explain that and uh, it's not always easy but um we've all kind of support each other i think quite quite well throughout the pandemic mm. um but no i think um i think it's brilliant what everyone's doing like dr zoe williams i think it's fantastic mm. um dr k as well like i think there's, there's some brilliant doctors on on tv and mm. on media that are i think promoting really good messages 
and Dr. Hillary of Let's Not Forget as well, the king, oh, the king, the king of, uh, yes, the king of TV, of TV medicine, in my opinion. You yeah. know, he does a fantastic job and yeah. uh, a hero of mine, actually a very nice guy. You know, we obviously both work on the rain show. Um, and he, you know, really has looked after me throughout, to be honest. Mm. But that term media medic, is that something that's come about in the last year? I haven't heard that before. I think it's over the last few years. I think, you know, interestingly, before I, um, came off Love Island, there were, you know, there was, there was a handful of, doctors on social media really to be honest mm. um you had your traditional people like dr Ange and dr hillary on tv but wasn't that much on socials um and interestingly now if you go online there's a huge number of doctors who have got pages and stuff and i'm not saying that i started that movement but i would say that i probably was one of the early people to do that because before that a lot of doctors were very afraid of being on social media and now all of a sudden a lot of them are popping up and i think it's quite interesting to see and um, not to say I'm tra- setting a trend, <laughs> but uh, it, it, I would say there is a movement more and more. And I think actually it's quite a good thing, because if you look at the pandemic, the conversation is happening about health, whether or whether or not there's doctors and nurses online. It's happening. You know, people are talking about, oh, what will this do? What will that do? People are even advising when they're not even medics. So if we stay silent, that conversation doesn't stop. It continues. But by being online yeah. and actually promoting the right messages, we are able to steer that conversation. It's not about telling people what's right or wrong all the time. It's just trying to give all the information and facts and contextualizing what's going on. I mean, the, the number of uh, kind of fake news things that came out about COVID was just unbelievable. And the dangerous thing is, because especially in a pandemic and the fear and everything's going on, people really hang on to these things. And it can actually really influence people's anxieties, their worries, their fears, their behaviors. And I think we really saw that play out. I mean, you know, things, even people... I don't know, the idea at one point that garlic protected you and other people. I don't know, there was all sorts of, you know, I kind of forget a lot of them now because it's been a while, thank you, dispelled most of them. But there's so many myths uh, out there. And um, that was a real challenge sometimes to try and break them down. But uh, it's important that we we do that. So do you think that um, what you're putting out and you and Zoe and Dr. Zoe and various other people are the place to do you think your platforms are the place to find the truth if you like you say there's so much fake news which i agree with um but do you think that's if if you are an anxious person or you want to know more it's like where the hell do you look i think the i think the interesting thing is if you look what we're doing and you take the pandemic for example we are taking the science and the information out there and hopefully putting it in a format that is accessible to all like i speak I think my main audience on Instagram is 25 to 35. So that's my biggest percentage. That's probably the audience I talk to the most. So I'm just trying to basically put into context what is out there. And, you know, the sources I go to are the same as what other people do. It's the NHS, it's Public Health England's advice. And of course, we throughout the pandemic, we had actually daily meetings. But then as time went on, weekly meetings with Professor Chris Whitty or uh, Dr. Jane Harris and hearing updates and it's getting that information, thinking, right, how can I get this across to you know, help people understand or pick apart what's going on? That's our role, I think. Um, I think it's an addition to rather than replacing traditional sources mm. uh, of information. But like you say, like, where do you find out the information? When it's so when the, when the speed of what you're seeing is happening so quickly and this information is coming out literally hour by hour in the case of the start of the pandemic, you know, you're not going to have websites and NHS, you know, websites being, you know, instantly up to date, I think is very difficult. So we were a way of actually providing hopefully quite speedy information, you know, in that immediate time. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of people turn to sources like the news uh, and some papers and things like that. And I worry sometimes that 
that can actually really frighten people. I know some, you know, hopefully some of the mainstream media, you know, was more sensible in how it portrayed, but not all the time, but what, how it portrayed um, the pandemic, what was going on. But some of the sensationalist papers, for example, it's very difficult because it really scared a lot of people and some of those fears that that's generated will take a long time i think to kind of break down i think people some people will take a long time to go back to inverted commas uh, normality after the pandemic i think that's absolutely right and i i think strangely enough i you know speaking for my my own children who are 22 20 and 17 they've and they kind of read those sort of newspapers but it's interesting that it's from what I've seen, it's kind of my generation, it's the older generation who have been more anxious about it. And I've been so impressed and bowled over and have such respect for the younger generation and how they've just got on with lives. And they, you know, they're making the best. They're making the best of this shit fucking situation. Yeah. And I, I, I am in awe of them. And any time I've sort of got panicked or worried, I just looked at my children and, and thought, OK, well, they're dealing with it. Why, why can't I? And I think it's people like you who have really helped younger people get through this. I think that's very kind. I think, you know, but I think in, in reality, and you're probably being overly kind, I think it's a, it's, it's a, there's a lot of people, I think, that have hopefully had good, good influences. And actually a lot of, a lot of it has actually just been innate strength, I think, in young people and their resilience that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important to remember that there has been a lot of resilience, but, you know, it comes at a toll for young people as well. And if you look at particularly university students who I would argue are one of the groups that are disproportionately affected by the pandemic, it's been very hard, you know, some of the students have lost the final year of their university studies, they've lost their graduation, um, which you work to all of your life, really. Um, those who've lost their first year experience at university. I mean, you saw the scenes in Manchester where people were being, you know, potentially locked in uh, practically, uh, you know, into the halls. Mm. Really, really, really hard. Um, and I just think it's amazing how they've managed to get through. But also we have to remember that that does come at a toll. And that's why, you know, what I'm really... Moving out of the pandemic, I think we we have to remember that I think a price will be paid, I think, for a lot of people. Yes, frontline workers, without a doubt, we talk PTSD, talk depression, anxiety. I think everyone's pretty concerned about the figures that we might see. Uh, But young people as well, you know, if you look at the Children's and Young People's Coalition, um, who do a lot of modelling and statistics and, you know, hypothesising what impacts there will be. And, um, you know, they're looking at, you know, for young people and children, potentially around 1.5 million uh, children who are uh, either uh, have worsening mental health or new mental health problems directly as a result of the pandemic, which is pretty staggering. You know, you look at the stats from um, the NHS saying you know, one in nine children had a diagnosable mental health condition. That's dropped to one in six now. And that's probably underreported. I mean, mental health illness is generally underreported in, in children for, for all sorts of reasons. Um, so I do worry that, yes, there has been incredible amount of resilience, but, you know, at what cost? I have seen that firsthand from um, my son who's in his final year and he's studying marine biology, which has been his passion all his life. And, you know, since a little boy goes off to study it. And of course, you know, it was so disrupted. It's a it's a practical um, degree as much as a, a intellectual one. And um, all his field trips were cancelled and it's just totally wiped the desire to move into that sphere which is you know it's such a shame but you're right and I think it's you know we have to that's going to be the next pandemic if you like is picking up the pieces of the pandemic especially in the younger generation 
I think we approach things the right way and uh, we have the right attitude towards it, that we don't hide away from it. I think people are incredibly mm. resilient. Young people are very resilient. They, a lot of them will bounce back. But, you know, for those that maybe need that extra support, we just need to be really aware of that. And if we respond well, I think we can help a huge amount of young people to get through this time. I don't like to say get over it. I don't think that's quite the right way because I think, you know, we will carry the knowledge and experience of what happened, good and bad, for our lives. So nothing's about getting over the pandemic. I don't think that's right. But mm. certainly moving forward with your life, you know, and trying to, mm. you know, um, make sure that people can live the life they want to after this pandemic. Mm. And learn and learning to use it and turn it into a yes. strength, you know, to Absolutely. you know, got through something, you know, brilliant. But we're not we're so what the hell? This is meant to be about clothes, this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. No, 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 that's me. It's me, it's not you. But um and I forgot you know, I literally talking to you, I completely have forgotten that you were on Love Island, which of course I'm gonna have to bring up. Yeah. You you are <laughs> you, not Dr. Alex from Love Island anymore, which is amazing i mean how the hell did you get roped into that uh i was well funny enough so i never applied for the show they asked me to do it i don't know why they don't ask me why because i only had like 200 followers and i they dm me and asked me to come for an interview and i uh i watched the series before but i was never someone's gone a show it really I, i'm very introverted and quite shy actually and um i told one of my good friends who was a registrar at the time who's now a consultant at Lewisham, uh and she was a massive fan of the show and said you have to go for the interview it'd be amazing why don't you go like if you've got a place why wouldn't you do it and she basically pushed me into it so i blame anna for that um and so i went to an interview and like the next week they were like we want to start as an original you know it um interview went very well I think I was very relaxed because I, I wasn't really you know not no disrespect to the show I wasn't really particularly fussed or trying to get on it you know there's some all a lot of the other people there for the interview very serious they're all in ridiculous shape and hair was perfect I turned up on a Friday <laughs> afternoon black t-shirt as I always wear a jacket and uh, my mate waiting in the pub opposite to go for a few beers because I was off on the Friday Saturday um, and I just did it relaxed and uh, there's I think of 16 people that have been interviewed I was one of the last to go in. Everyone else was in and out in about 10, 15 minutes. I was there for over an hour. So I kind of knew that it was the interview went well. But I thought, because we were chatting about all sorts, about A&E, about stories. And yeah, it was it was weird. I look back now and you think it's hard to really imagine how that's gone from that and that interview and all the steps that would have happened or not happened. And then the whole show to where we are today. And like you said, it is interesting. I, I, I find very, very rarely anyone mentions Love Island anymore. And I actually sometimes because of everything that's going on, I forget that I was actually on the show. <laughs> Uh, myself um but it is it's definitely it was an incredible part of the journey you know it's part of my life a big part of my life so I never shy away from that and and also you wouldn't you would not have the platform that you have now and one that you clearly seem very capable of owning and um you know it's 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 put you in this position so someone overhead was saying the, the the kind of some god somewhere was saying okay let's take him put him on love island because he's going to be the mouthpiece for for mental health in in younger people so you know it's good it's great that you did it thank goodness um and then sort of going back to your your day job as a doctor we spoke to, i spoke to reverend coles who is such a lovely man and we went into the kind of hierarchy of clothing within the within the church and what is it within the medical profession how do you how it's do actually you... it's actually pretty confusing because um from hospital to hospital your outfits change and also department to department so pre-covid medics um so those looking after people with medical illnesses as inpatients would wear um 
uh, a shirt, no tie. Obviously, we're not supposed to wear ties. A rolled up sleeve. So traditionally, kind of the Oxford shirt, maybe a white shirt, rolled up, a pair of chinos and brown shoes. That's a classic medical doctor, really, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Um, <laughs> and then the surgeons would always be in blue scrubs, generally, uh, and yeah. uh, obst- obst- obstetricians as well in the scrubs and you would see apart from the consultant surgeons who in clinics would always wear a suit you, you'll never see an orthopedic surgeon not in a suit and a blue tie or similar um but in A&E you know around the country always in scrubs just varying colors I mean we wear in Lewisham um so the the junior doctors are the non-consultants then if you like um so essentially it's kind of confusing really and often not necessarily related to or always related to someone's experience but you know generally you know the, the leads are the consultants and they are and anyone mm-hmm. else is a junior doctor but it's confusing because sometimes you're very very senior non-consultants who are incredibly experienced and so sometimes there's a bit of upset in the hierarchy in the way that it reflects that and um, of course consultants are incredibly experienced but there are other people within the profession in that area who are equally sometimes um experienced but anyway we would wear usually mm. green uh, and the consultants will wear black in some other hospitals they wear gray um but mm-hmm. that's generally how it works there is an argument really that there should probably be more um separation as you become more experienced as a, as a doctor as a, as a junior doctor so like we talk about juniors middle grade senior consultants so there probably should be a bit more of a dress code i think um, but generally the teams, we get to know who is who and I'll know who the senior registrar is. You know, I'm one of the middle grades, if you like. Uh, and then, you know, usually who the juniors are, like the new foundation doctors or GP trainees. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it does play a role. Uh, but probably you could probably learn from other other aspects, actually, other industries and be a bit more clear. maybe. Yeah, like the like the armed forces, you know, you have your little epaulets yeah. with your stripes on. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss but what what i mean in in your medical profession um what do you aspire where do you aspire to get to in your role as a doctor interesting i i and i don't know that i know the, the entire answer yet because i think everything is so fresh with what i'm doing i mean i look i love seeing patients and i love um, a clinical aspect. Now, when you're a consultant, there is so much more to your job than seeing patients. In fact, you know, speaking to, and I can only say what I've heard from consultants in A&E here in my hospital, many of them say that really, you know, seeing patients is probably 40% of the job, you know, mm. if that, you know, most of it is, a lot of it is teaching, it's managerial, it's staff, it's thinking about staff, it's thinking about flow, it's thinking about any issues the department has. And it's quite easy to end up in a situation where you're not doing as much of what you enjoy if that makes sense they have to deal with things like complaints they have to do deal with things like 
meetings with senior managers in the hospital to talk about, you know, why or why not we're hitting targets and things. I don't really want to do that. You know, I am always going to be now, you know, part time in the hospital. So I don't want to be spending my time doing those things. I want to remain clinical. So I had a big I've been thinking quite a lot about GP training. I did my GP exam recently and I'm making some decisions now about what to do. Did you pass? I did. did I did. Yeah, I did pass. I got a good mark. I was a difficult week because actually I was announced as youth mental health ambassador on the Tuesday. I sat the exam on the Thursday after about five hours sleep and 70 interviews. So uh, I was quite pleased I came out and did, did, um, did quite well. So, yeah, that was a relief because um, a lot of people are sitting that exam. They're a couple of years younger and fresher out of med school, maybe a couple of years out of med school. And actually, sometimes that's a real advantage. But it was good to know that I haven't forgotten everything uh, quite yet. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult at the moment. I don't know. It's probably the answer. Um, I can see wherever happens. I probably always end up being an A&E quite a bit. I love I love doing shift work there. Mm. And I think it's interesting because if you look at my role, what I'm doing as youth mental health ambassador, I'm not there as a mental health expert. Um, that's not my role. You know, there's there are so many experts sat around the table from like the leads of the Royal College of Psychiatry, Psychology. Uh, you've got the NHS leads at Clare Murdoch. You've got the Children and Young People Coalition, the charities. They don't need more experts. You know, I'm there as a, to really raise awareness of the work that we're doing to make sure that young people are being represented in policy and government. So I'm mm. almost sitting there to try and bring everyone together at the table to get things done. So in many ways, you could argue I'm probably in more of a bureaucrat or uh, political sense than, than probably there in terms of a doctor. But, you know, the, the work in A&E is always important because it keeps you focused, keeps you grounded, keeps you in touch with who you are and what you do. And ultimately... I love doing it. Like if I stopped doing mm. A&E, I don't know where I'd be. Um, I'd lose myself a little bit, I think. Um, you know, I've actually had a good couple of weeks out of it at the moment because I, I was so intensely in work over the last year. Um, I needed a couple of months really to get my head into this role, understand the dynamics. And I'm actually going to go back in the next week or so to get back into the flow of doing shifts again. But I just needed that headspace, you know, step back and go, what's the bigger picture? What do I need to do? What does the next year or so look like? The book as well, of course, which is published on the 13th of uh, of May, um, Live Well Every Day, which has been, you know, a really good focus for me in the last last year. Um, I think with everything that's gone on in the pandemic, I think a lot of people have taken much more notice of their own health and well-being. And I really wanted to put down, I guess, um, some of my ideas personally and professionally of things that people can do to live happier and healthier. Um, you know, so I'm quite excited about that. You know, I would say I've worked very hard in this book and try to pull together all the information out there, you know, from purpose and passion, sexual health, fitness, nutrition, uh, general well-being, mental health, trying to bring all together the science and put it in ways that people can make those small changes. Because as we mentioned earlier, really, I think health and happiness a lot of the time is overcomplicated and it's about doing things regularly, good things, positive things in your life regularly. Uh, and sticking to you know those good positive habits that ultimately accumulate and feeling better. Um, it's not mm. about the big gestures in life always. You know the things that were the big things we think in life that will bring us happiness often don't. It's often the simple things and the connections we have with family and friends. You know the regular uh, you know recharging our bodies through exercise, uh, nutrition, our sleep habits. Um, and, and as you said, alluded to earlier on, we spoke to you really, you know, making sure that we're not just burning the candle all the time. Like, are we actually putting the phone down and putting our closing our laptops and, and recharging? You know, so I'm not sitting there as I'm the expert of everything in life. Here's how you do it. It's kind of this is what I've learned from my life in terms of what I've seen in patients, what I've learned at med school and, and post. And also what I've learned from my own mistakes and also successes and, and 
in my life from things that I've worked and haven't worked. And I think there's things people might look at certain chapters and go, well, actually, I've got that down. Like, I'm a great sleeper. I've got that. But actually, I do actually struggle with motivation to exercise and creating sustainable habits in exercise that last. You know, I'm sick of fad mm-hmm. diets and fad exercise routines. Like, I want to – so I'm hoping, like, regardless – and I think regardless of age and, and, and what you're doing in life, whether you're – you know, I think there's a lot in that book that, that people can pull away. And some things that might surprise them as well. Mm. It sounds great, really, and much needed, but also much needed for you because you've had a really tough year because obviously with the pandemic and the, you know, horrific work hours and emotional toll, but also your your brother um, passed away, Tia, um, Tia, um, and I can't even imagine how that has panned out for you over the last the last year it's been really hard it's hard on the family and I think first you don't know how you're going to get through these things but you have to and um you know we have to move forward in a in a sense you know you, you always carry that uh what's happened I think life's always before and after but it's important I think that you know you have to find focus in things and you know I think to be honest the book has been really good for that because it was something that he was really proud of we were, I was well on the way with the book but thinking well, I'm going to finish this for him in a way it was really powerful I know that sounds like cliche but um it actually was a really welcome focus for me at a time of darkness so um yeah it's it's been it's an ongoing tough time you never get over it do you how can you but um you know I've learned to live with it in some ways still very early I mean you know it's only what been like what eight months or something um which in relative terms is so raw and fresh but I do feel like I'm at a place now where I'm I'm able to kind of see that, you know, I can have a life after this, you know. Um, but again, mm. not easy. Um, the family are doing pretty well. Parents are actually doing better than I thought they would. When it first happened, I didn't know what what, what would happen to them, really. Um, but they, they actually have managed to pull together and somehow find a way to live their life after this, which is good. Um, and I mm. hope that some of the stuff I'm doing gives them hope as well. Um, and I think that helps. My mum's doing amazing work as well with a knit for mental health charity that she's started. So she's got over a hundred people knitting, selling gloves, scarves, bags, uh, neck warmers, hats, all this stuff, and raising money for charity. You know, all, all that money goes to charity. So she's doing fantastically as well. Mm. Well, your brother has, is clearly a huge inspiration for you all to help to you know affect change um which is fantastic um and going to to your mental health i mean you had a pretty tough time in love island and you know there have been all these reports that have come out of you know like the poor young guy who committed suicide afterwards because of the fallout of having everything and then literally being dumped the other side with nothing and lost and empty how did you find that side of things um, I think we all have different experiences, don't, don't we? And um, mm. I think it helped me a lot that I have my career. And I, I always was, I was never my intention not to go back. So I had always had that plan. Yeah. So it, that never changed. Uh, that helped a lot. Um, and yeah, I really, yeah, I guess, you know, the first six months was a huge roller coaster. I know it sounds very cliche again saying that, but it was um, mm. very strange. I mean, to go from someone who had no uh, experience in the public eye, no media experience mm. at all to, being you know center of a lot of focus and attention and I think that was a huge shock and a massive thing to get used to uh, but I got there I think you know and mm. it took me a while I think I say going back to work grounding me 
um, getting focused, knowing what I wanted to achieve. You know, I think that has all been part of keeping it together, really. Um, having a good family unit as well, good family and friends around me. I actually think the show, the show is pretty good to me as well. They check in quite a lot see how I'm doing even now and uh, and I think that's very important I think you know ITV as a whole like I actually sit on the board now the mental health board on advisory board for ITV um, and a lot of what the, a lot of the thoughts now moving forward are around you know how can we promote better mental well-being not just on the show for people watching it you know what can we do to support movements around mental health like Britain's Get Talking etc which has been incredibly successful mm. partnerships with Mind and Calm you know, and I think that's that's important. You know, TV, reality TV, all these shows can actually have an impact on people's mental health, but it can do it in a positive way as well. If it's done, if we think about it and we 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 consider that when you're making these shows, it's considering who you're putting on there, are they prepared for that? What are we? What messages are we giving to people? Are we re- representing the body image, uh, you know, diversity that we have in the UK on screen? You know, those kind of things. And I think that we will see a more of a move. I'd be interested to see what the cast is like this year on Love Island. But I suspect we might see a better diversity. I hope in all sorts of ways mm. on the show mm. this year. But let's see. Mm. And do you think it was tougher for the girls than the boys? Um, it's hard to speak for when, when you know, and I'm not in that position, but I, I think probably, I suspect so. Um, mm. I would think so. Like, I don't get many people saying, oh, you don't look nice in that photo or whatever or on Instagram, because probably because they know I don't care. <laughs> I mean, if someone said to me, you don't look yeah. like people sometimes jokingly tease that I, when this is a, a clothing uh, faux pas, I guess I always wear black T-shirts. I've just got like Johnny, Johnny Bravo with them all hung up in the wardrobe and people just joke. <laughs> but I, t- I take the mick out of myself for that so very difficult to criticize someone who actually laughs themselves about something mm. um so yeah yeah i mean i think we probably have an easier time some people don't um but i it, it, i think the culture of um uh, of body image it, it's both ways isn't it so if you're constantly trying to put out a perfect image to everyone if there's a seen to be an image of imperfection then that gets criticized more but if we can actually create a culture of imperfection is perfection then actually um, we will change that quite a bit. Absolutely, it's all about being imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect. It's so right. I'm I'm totally with you on that. Um, so, have you, um, Dr. Alex, ever had a wardrobe malfunction? Um, so, I mean, I can't especially call it a malfunction. I certainly think that a lot of my outfits on the show were malfunctions. I had a pink T-shirt, which uh, I really shouldn't have. Um, probably been wearing on the show and particularly because I go a bit pink in the sun uh I was one shade entire <laughs> shade that. of pink which was a nightmare um you know very pale skinned individual um so that was a bit of a problem um I think a lot of my outfits on there were very questionable uh, otherwise like I haven't really had a malfunction in terms of anything you know falling down when it shouldn't I don't think but uh, yeah, as I say, I think probably a lot of my outfits, particularly on that series, were, were a bit dodgy. I had a particular one that was a T-shirt that was like pink, blue, yellow and whatever. And I wore it multiple times. There's like memes of that T-shirt while I was wearing it. So, uh, yeah, made some er- errors along the way. Did you buy that T-shirt willingly or was it given to you to wear? You did. I did. I brought okay. it in. Yeah, I was actually thing is, I actually wore it knowing that everyone would be like taking a neck outside. But that was part of the reason I wore it. I was like, I don't okay. really care. <laughs> so where where do you get your clothes from if it's all black T-shirt? You and uh, what's uh, Lewis Capaldi, by the way, you're the, the same. You both wear black T-shirts. But where do you shop? 
Top Man do the okay. best ones actually because they do like the they do nice the top. I'm actually wearing one now. Shock. Um, I mean I've got I like to say as well I don't wear the same one. I'm actually quite I am clean. I wear I've got, got multiple ones. But um yeah just like the nice because it just wrapped on your neck. It's got long baggy. The thing is you can wear you know I generally wear I've got multiple black jeans as well. So I wear black jeans black mm. t-shirt. I put a jumper on or a coat and then. In the summer, I do vary a bit more. I'll wear some white T-shirts, maybe, and a couple of shirts. But I'm just comfortable in it. And, um, yeah, I, I just think wear what you're happy in, really. Yeah, I love how you describe your black T-shirt in such detail there. Like it's a <laughs> kind of superbly designed garment. And yeah, it's got a neck. Really, your T-shirt has got a neck and it hangs... I mean, it's just a fucking T-shirt, let's be honest. It's a perfectly imperfect black T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, for you, for you, I, I, I mean, I don't really care about what I wear anymore. I've sort of got past that. But I do think that, um, especially for people who are um, fragile, mentally fragile, the way you dress can make a huge difference. Um, you know, if you feel you look good, in what you're wearing it make it gives you such a, bo- a boost and you know i don't know if you agree with that or have seen that yeah i think so i think i can understand that i don't get me wrong like i like to feel that i look smart and well like if you know i meant the prime minister is wearing a suit you feel good that you feel professional um you know i have certain feelings about ties and whether you know because i think sometimes wearing suits tries to give people a feeling of superiority whereas actually you can turn up in a black t-shirt and jeans and potentially know more than someone in a suit but uh you know it it, it it does give you that feeling of confidence and i think if it gives you that confidence then brilliant but i mm. wasn't um, I think there's a fine balance between that and what you wear causing a lack of confidence or self-criticism or judgment if you feel a bit better about it. But, you know, sometimes you know, I've got friends who, you know, won't go out unless they can find the right shirt to wear. And I think that is then a fine balance of, you know, actually, are you wearing it to feel confident or are you wearing it because if you don't feel you look perfect, that you won't have confidence mm. with that. Yeah, that's interesting because it's, I mean, I can, uh, you know, in the same way you can make diagnosis, you know, um, medical diagnosis. I do believe that I can tell someone's mental state by what they're wearing. And what would you say about mine then on me and my black T-shirt? Well, uh, if I'd met you, if I'd just seen you, I would have thought I would have been completely wrong. I'm not going to lie. So I would have thought someone who's, uh, just stand up. Let me see See how I mean, bad you are. I'm wearing a nice are. jumper today. I mean, they're nice, but uh, I've got Ooh. a jumper on black jeans. There you okay. Go. I would say, okay, if I chopped off your head, which is very handsome, I that's would say, um, stop saying that's very kind. It's just a fact, okay? Um, I would say uh, you are someone who maybe is not that confident, um, okay. who is not that confident about their shape. And about their weight, perhaps. Um, and yeah, someone who maybe is trying to fade into the background, who doesn't want to stand out. I think the last fact's probably true. Um, I think I don't want to, dis- I don't, I've never liked to draw too much attention to myself. I'm not someone, t- I'm an introvert, you know, I said that at the start, really. I, I don't want to be centre of attention uh, and particularly now if I can fade in the background and not be noticed that's fantastic for me um, 
so that's probably true. I don't want to wear. Mm. I don't often. I do have some. I got some new jumpers actually, a little bit brighter for summer. But I don't like to draw attention to myself <laughs> too much. I'm already six foot four, yeah. and you can spot me walking a while away because I'm tall and whatever. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I like to just go unnoticed a lot of the time. It's it's, mm. it's quite nice. I'm happy for other people to be centre of the attention and whatever. I mean, that's a very altruistic um, sentiment. Do you really feel that? Isn't there a time? So, like, when you put your your suit on and you look in the mirror, don't you just get a little kind of little jump of? Of course. Oh, God, that looks really nice. But I, my argument is that if you wear the suit all the time, you're bored of it and you don't get that jump. Whereas if you don't dress ultra smart all the time, when you do make an effort, it feels very good. Um, but of course I do. Like it's it's like if a t-shirt or outfit fits very nice, or you know, working out a bit. You're all human beings, right? And we all feel a bit better about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's nice yeah, the, yeah, the, the, yeah exactly. It's, it's, it's a yeah. nice it's a nice feeling. But um, yeah, yeah. No, I I I don't know. It's why would I want to be more centre of attention? I guess you know, I've got enough. It's, it's not like I'm, you know what I mean. I, I get enough of that. I don't want to um, add to that. Yeah. But I've, I've always been that way. I don't think I've changed in that sense. My clothes haven't changed ever, in since ever really. So I don't know if I've always been been that way. I probably I don't mm. like to. I get probably anxious if it's really really busy in a busy place, and um, um, maybe that's a reflection of that. I don't know. Mm. But it's what you said about. Um, you know, there are some people who literally, if they cannot find the right shirt or the right cut of trousers and it's not in their wardrobe or it's in the wash, they won't go out. That's something new from when I was working in, you know, dressing people to give them confidence. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't, you know, but it's you're absolutely right with with the kind of the, the perception of having to be perfect you know yeah. the media putting out this oh you, you know if you basically if you're not perfect you don't exist and you might as well bury yourself in a deep hole which is appalling um and that's perpetuated i imagine this you know feeling of having the absolute right outfit the right fit the right cut in the same way that if something doesn't fit you know for me it's like if something doesn't fit me properly or if i look you know makes me look bigger than i am or it doesn't reflect my mood then I find I won't not go out, but it's certainly um, it change or it changed. Yeah, so for uh, I I definitely dress um, based on my moods. So if I'm feeling down or insecure or vulnerable, I'll wear brighter colours. It's it's like I will almost force myself to be seen. Okay. Whereas if I'm feeling confident. That's fine. I'll just wear. I think clothes do matter, but there's shit. a balance. Like you know, my I, my friend will kill me for saying this, but he, when he came to my graduation, he was he, he was a dentist, and we were best friends all the way through. And I was my graduation day in Exeter. He couldn't find his tie clip for his tie, and therefore was late. He had stayed in the hotel after we got ready. I got ready in like ten minutes. Suit on, my hair. I literally spent two minutes doing my hair. Like probably looks like that, but I really do. Just gone, uh, and he's there ages getting ready. Uh, hours in fact for this for my graduation <laughs> and we had to go ahead without him and the graduation had just started and he had to come in at the back with his tie clip that he finally found but he was you know just just a, just a clip it didn't need just just to go it doesn't add actually any functional pur- purpose he looked incredibly smart and it wasn't his graduation anyway but he was late <laughs> and like to me like that is too far like that to me is just ridiculous like mm. I, I i get i get people wanting to look nice and look smart but 
not at the expense of enjoying yourself. It's like people who spend um, four hours getting ready for a night out and then they're two hours late to go out and meet their friends or for, meet the, you know, the hour and a half late when everyone else has been sat there enjoying themselves. And I just think, you know, uh, it's fine. Everyone's different and I'm not criticising anyone. But for me personally, I'd be rather, I'd rather my time with my friends and be less ready or whatever than, mm. than the opposite. That's my opinion. So I guess that his... Um Tie clip was was his is or is his comfort blanket in a way. It's like something that he doesn't feel, you know, he feels more secure with. Do you have anything like that? Something that you always wear or that you turn to and take with you? It's fun, funny enough, uh, I actually always feel, in general, I feel happier in coats, and that's probably an interesting thing. Like I enjoy winter probably because I wear coats a lot, but that's probably my yeah. fact, that's maybe my. But I like like a big. I wear big black coats, or I've got a big green coat that I wear, or I've got um, I've got a uh, Burberry long coat that I mm. like, trench coat like that. That well, I flashes Mac. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that is that's probably if I was going to go out and about, like I, I am almost sad when it's too hot and I can't wear my coat, and I accept it. But that's mm. usually my comfort, I would say. Okay, so that's kind of armor of some kind. And then I did actually read that you got these rings made and i, th- I see you you've got a ring so what's the story behind that no. yeah and i think yeah this probably would be something i wouldn't leave um so obviously when Cleo passed away i mean we wanted to create some way that we would unite each other and something that something to remember him by that we'd always have so um i had these rings made um by clog eye gold actually so it's a welsh mine um oh, and jeweler in wales actually they they supply the royal rings as well that's where the royal family get their rings um and um, it just felt fitting that being Welsh that people would go to them. Uh, and so, yeah, I had it, um, let me show you on it. I had it, uh, I'll put it on the screen somewhere. I had it designed uh, by them. So it's got his name clear, he probably can't very well, clear written on there. And then there's our boy on the inside of the of the ring, which, um, uh, you know, that's what we used to call him, really. He's like the little one in the family, so our boy kind of thing. And, and each one of us have one of these rings, and there's one for clear as well, uh, even though he obviously will never wear it. Mm. And I think it's really... It really brings that sense of I think comfort um, mm. uh, for for us really. Mm. So yeah, I identify. I have three rings on here. So I have my my grandfather's signet ring, and then I have my mother's wedding ring and my wedding ring. So my father wore that. So yeah, brings that's, comfort, that's, doesn't it? And sometimes yeah, when I'm really I, when I'm really stressed or something, you know, I just kind of think about it and I see it and I think and I remember sometimes it contextualizes things you think of the pain and it actually puts things into perspective or you also think of the comfort and yeah it's odd really how a bit of bit of metal can do that but it does help so um Alex when you go to get your knighthood which clearly you're going to end up what would be your birthday suit is there any item of clothing that makes you feel confident and fabulous Oh, what's my? Do you know what I'm most? I'm, I'm I'm most confident actually in a suit. You probably guessed that earlier on. I love mm. to wear a nice. I've got a nice navy suit. I've got one I really like. It's a nice navy suit, just smart and sometimes with a navy tie or whatever. And I really feel um, good because I'm tall and I think my frame. I think I feel really confident in a in a suit. And I think when I went to see the prime minister, the fact the suit fit well, that I felt good, it does help in those scenarios. Mm. You go in there with a feeling and not to not to kind of uh 
take the mech out of minister, but he's probably a bit more relaxed with his suits and, and I felt, you know, I feel pretty smart right now and, yeah. you know, you do look smart, uh, Prime Minister, but I feel like I've got you. He looks like a wreck, but I feel I, like I, I actually made a joke with him about that. <laughs> I said, look, I, I'm not going to, I was like, Prime Minister, I'm feeling quite smart. Um, and I think it does, it does, it, it does help. So mm. if I'm going to go to a big event or something, I want to be in a smart suit, really. All right, my darling. Well, listen, I, I wish I could talk to you all day. You're amazing, and what you're doing is incredible. Oh, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for yeah, making me think a bit a about my. I need to wear maybe some bright colours now. I'll, I'll get some inspiration. Well, what colour are your eyes? Uh, blue. Blue. Yeah. No. So you can't wear black. Do you have dark, dark, dark? Do you have black around your irises? Are they quite. They look like you have. I have. Yeah, I do. I think. Yeah, that's why you can wear black. But navy. Maybe wear navy a bit more instead of black if you like dark colours. Okay. I'll give that All a go. Right. Thanks for your advice. Free advice. I'll check, right, keep an eye out for your voice. All right. I'll see you soon. I hope one day. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Alex. What an inspiring, kind and special young man. His book, Live Well Every Day, is out now. If you've been affected by mental health issues, you can call the Samaritans on 116123 or visit samaritans.org. Right, before we go, remember you can always drop us a line by emailing us at help mywardmail.com. You can find our house band duo at duoguitarmusic.com or at duoguitarmusic on their socials. And you can find us at mywardmail.com. Follow us at mywardmail and we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. Anyway, that's it. Thanks so much again to Dr. Alex, to Duo, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, you guessed it, my wardrobe is officially closed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.